The following program is a paid advertisement and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of station owner, WJUL Radio, LLC. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. We are coming to you from the studios of WJUL Talk Radio, 97.5 FM and 1230 AM. My producer, Tim Rose, is running the board and may, from time to time, interject his two cents. You with me, Tim? I am. Well, this program, listeners, is for you. No matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to, Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. I'm here with uh, Jim Davis, uh, international banker. He knows a few things about money. Uh, Tim Rose has been offering to put his two cents in, and I was, I was really upset to have to tell him that since I started doing this program, his two cents is no longer worth two cents. It's worth a, an awful lot less. Uh, and those are the problems we're dealing with, the problem of inflation, the problem of the economy, Uh, Promises made and broken by politicians with a lust for power and greed for money. So let's start out this discussion with a very simple question. As you know, we keep talking, we keep running, we keep running into the debt ceiling. And uh, what would happen, Jim Davis? What would happen if we did not raise the debt ceiling? Basically, right now, 46 cents of every dollar the government spends is borrowed. And the debt ceiling, and since they've promised all, as we discussed earlier, they've promised a lot more things than they can pay for. But the simple answer was, what happened back in the 1930s? Okay, I'll bite what happened back in the 1930s. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president during the Depression. He cut all government salaries 25% across the board. Um, Two years ago, when the first debt ceiling had to be raised, and it was was raised, I think, by $2 trillion, 
had not the Congress agreed to increasing the debt ceiling, uh, the president would have been forced to cut government expenditures, salaries, benefits, and entitlement programs by 46%. So really, what that comes down to is if you want to put it in human terms, okay, uh, you have a family, husband, wife, uh, two jobs, and they have their, day, their monthly expenses, their mortgage, you know, utilities, car, whatever, food. One of them loses their job and their income drops. What do they have to do? They have to cut back, particularly if they can't get money from a rich uncle. And the rich uncle uh, in, in our government's uh, situation happens to be the rest of us taxpayers. I, you know, that's one of the most important points I can make, and that is the government cannot give you anything that it does not first steal from someone else. There are, I would say, millions of people in this country who believe that government money is somehow just grows on trees somewhere. Yeah, unfortunately, people do not realize that anything the government is spending has to come through taxes through us. So it is, there is no such thing as a free lunch, and there's no such thing as free money. Every nickel that is paid out to any recipient in this country comes from someone else. Yes, and the idea under a free market, as you've pointed out, is that whoever makes something the best, and I think maybe this is a good time to switch. You wanted to talk about Europe, I believe. Um, I was just going to say to you, Europe is a mess. Europe's a mess. And, <laughs> okay. And how does that affect us? Well, we buy a lot from Europe, and Europe uh, buys a lot from us. Back in the 1930s, when we put up these 25% tariffs to protect our industry, they put up tariffs to keep our much more, what we made much better out of our markets. And so we both lost a considerable amount of exports, and we ended up with Europe and the United States ended up with uh, 25% unemployment. Another good argument for true free trade, not government-organized trade like NAFTA, but true free trade. This is true. So the government caused the Depression, and the government prolonged the Depression, and actually it wasn't until 1940 when President Roosevelt realized he was in, that Hitler was not going to go away and that we were going to end up in the war, and he couldn't find anybody to help build the war machine, so he actually went to the private sector, who he was demonizing and suing and regulating, and he found some private sector people that said, fine, we will organize the war effort if you will get rid of these regulations and stop having the Justice Department suing us and trying to put us out of business. So it was by the... We got out of the Depression by getting the government to stop putting up blockades for business to create more jobs and more product. I believe the man involved in that was named Knudsen, was it not? Yes, William Knudsen was the one that organized the whole thing. And the, the key for me is that he took the job at $1 a year, okay, I believe, and he said, I will only take the job if... 
You have to drop every single one of these anti, anti-business suits from the ju- Justice Department. You have to get rid of all of these anti-business regulations. And if you do that, I will show you that American industry can thrive, can make materials for the war machine or anything else for that matter. And he went to individuals like, you know, like GM, and he, and he said, can you make a tank? Well, he actually, he was chairman of uh, GM when uh, Roosevelt had originally asked Bernard Baruch, and he said, uh, I'm too old for this. He said, you need to ask Bill Knudsen. And when he called Knudsen, and Knudsen was a Danish immigrant, got off the boat, was a longshoreman. And, and, you know, 25 years later, he was chairman of the biggest company in the world. So, again, very capable man, obviously a very capable man. But most importantly, the lesson here is, is that when you get government out of the way, industry can can thrive because that's what the free market does. That's what made America great from its beginnings. Free market and competition. Competition makes you better, makes you stronger, and it makes better products at a lower price. So. That's the free market. That's the debt ceiling. And Europe's a mess. Why is Europe in a mess? You got one, one minute to tell me why <laughs> Europe's a mess. European governments have interfered in their economies to the point where they're very sluggish. And they've got a big problem in that they have three or four countries that have spent way more than they're bringing in. And they have been more or less blackmailing the more productive com- countries like Germany. Like Greece says, well, if you don't keep giving us money, we are going to default on all our debt. And since you guys are the ones that want to get paid back, you have to give us more money. So, again, it's the, it's the same story over and over and over again. Government stealing money from the productive sector to give to the non-productive sector, making promises that they can't possibly fulfill, borrowing more money than they can possibly pay back. A never-ending spiral. It's this month I'm going to use my visa to pay the interest on my MasterCard. Next month I'm going to use the MasterCard to pay the interest on the visa. I think I tried that in college, and it did not work out very well for me. So we are going to pay some bills because we believe in paying bills with real money. And then we're going to come back and Jim Davis is going to tell us the solution. Absolutely. What we can do to fix everything. Do you have eye problems? Ophthalmologist Dr. Dan Eichenbaum, a graduate of Yale Medical School and the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute, has the training and experience to give your precious eyes the expert care they need. Whether it's cataract surgery, macular degeneration, diabetic eye disease, or glaucoma, call Dr. Dan Eichenbaum, 828-837-5404 in Murphy or 706-745-9777 in Blairsville. Medicare and insurance accepted. Quality eye care, regardless of your ability to pay. A long, long time ago in Young Harris, a restaurant opened with food so tasty and delicious the streets were chaos with bandits and outlaws fighting for a chance to enjoy one of their delicious steaks. That place is still here, and it's right down the road. Brothers at Willow Ranch is the place for the finest steaks, seafood, burgers, and chicken in town. Located on Highway 76 in Young Harris, Brothers at Willow Ranch, where Southern hospitality is their specialty. Call for reservations today, 706-379-1272. 
Find the right club for you at the new Golf Topia in Hayesville, your local discount golf store opening July 21st. Golf Topia sports new and used clubs and consignment is available by calling 828-360-2103. Take a club on a test drive using our hitting mats and putting surface and enjoy a free gift with your first purchase. Putter up at the new Golf Topia at 1124 Highway 69 in Hayesville in the Tri-County Plaza next to Color Splash and kick your handicap to the curb. All right. Now, listeners, you've heard of tough love. Well, we're going to get a lesson in economic tough love on a national scale. Jim Davis, tell us about Chile. Okay. Chile is an example. Um, first of all, I better tell you that I married a Chilean and her grandfather had founded the Communist Party and her uncle was a senator and head of the Communist Party. Um, in 1970, the first elected Marxist in Chile, Chile had the highest standard of living in Latin America in 1970. Within three years, the country had a thousand percent inflation, unemployment over 30 percent, shortages, that, massive was, debt. But that was because they went from a free market. It was not totally free market. It was, as you were saying, it was creeping socialism, but it got speeded up. So they had the election of a socialist government, and that's what started the downfall. And they started taking over a lot of companies because they could do it better because government functionaries thought so. But by September of 1973, one of the previously the biggest exporter of food in Latin America was importing food, and they couldn't import enough because the government had run out of money. And nobody was shipping to Chile on credit. They had to pay cash. Anyway, long story short, there was a military coup. And the dictator took over. He abolished the Senate and the House. He kept the judicial system intact. So before you get into that, just one quick thing. How many years did it take for the collapse of Chile? Three years. Three years from the onset of communism or Marxism. Socialism. Socialism, whatever you want to call it. In three years, they went from the most prosperous to where the point where people were starving. They could not get enough food in the country to feed the people. Then what happened? Well, then the, uh, they instituted free market principles the uh, the president the average tariff and protective tariff in Chile was 220% president said over the next year or two we're going to drop it down to 10% a lot of companies said we cannot compete and he said you better figure out with international companies you know the shoe company said we can't compete with Gucci shoes unless we were protected and he said well you better figure out now what happened in Chile the next year, the year after they started implementing this, because obviously companies had to shut down to retool to improve their business so they were more competitive, there was a 25% contraction in the economy, and there was close to 40% unemployed. But what happened after that, for the next 16 years, according to the United Nations and the International Monetary Fund, Chile had the strongest economy in the world, and the government dismantled Almost all the programs, government programs, sold off anything that was sellable, privatized the Social Security system so the government couldn't steal 
the money being withdrawn from your checks and use it for something else so it wouldn't be there when you hit 65. And they continue to have a strong free market economy. Now, our, there, is, there are international organizations that rate how much freedom, economic freedom, there are in countries. And you'll notice the United States has dropped from the top to about 10th in the last three or four years. So we have, with government regulation, have made a lot of our industries uncompetitive. But if we could have the politicians and a leader that would be willing to make the hard choices, roll back a lot of the very restrictive legislation, um, allow the oil, you know, energy industry to produce what it can produce, it would, it would create hundreds and thousands, maybe millions of jobs. So basically you've told us the story of failure and success. Failure of socialism, a change of government, and the success when the free market was reinstituted. Now, of course, the free market was reinstituted in Chile by military coup. Is that correct? Yeah. So he didn't really have any opposition at the time when he did that, or any opposition that lived, let's put it that way. I think there's one important thing. You know, the, when you say free market, they go, what about someone who loses his job? Where's the safety net? And, for example, in Chile, one thing people don't realize, if you destroy productive industry, they can't pay taxes, which reduces the amount the government has for the safety net. In Chile, there was no welfare without working. Anyone who didn't have a job could go to the government, and, and I can tell you the parks in, in Santiago are the most impeccably clean, beautiful parks because people got jobs maintaining the parks. But nobody got a paycheck unless they worked, unless they were disabled. Uh, and that's, a, I mean, I don't think people, I don't think there's reasonable people who would dispute the necessity of that. Uh, able-bodied people need to be employed or have work in order to get money. Handing out money for nothing, uh, really, it, it does not help the individual who's receiving it. It's that old thing, you know, give a man a fish, he'll feed his family for a day, teach a man to fish, and he'll feed his family for a lifetime. And I think that's what happened in Chile. They were able to use free market principles, not in a cruel or harsh way, but in a way that they understood would, would allow the economy to grow so that the country was far better off at the end of this process than they were when the collapse occurred. And one of the things that people do not realize is that the people who benefited the most with the free market economy are the people on the bottom end of the economic scale. I could tell you in 1973, one out of every 20 families had an automobile. By 1987, it was basically virtually every family could afford an automobile. I mean, that's, you know, all this talk about hurting the middle class, you know, one of the reasons we've hurt the middle class in this country is because we've allowed the government restrictions and regulations to force industry out of the United States. 
Middle-class jobs are manufacturing jobs. They're skilled labor jobs. They're the jobs when the, the people from Scandinavia came over and they settled in the, in the north-central United States. They were the ones who did this ahead. They were skilled labor. That's the basis of the middle class of skilled labor in a vibrant uh, economy where, peop- where goods are being produced. And that's very important. We've turned into an economy where we're busy selling pizza to each other. We're not an economy with a huge manufacturing uh, arm like we used to have. And one of the reasons for that, Dan, is we don't allow highly skilled, highly educated technical people in this country. People are talking about Silicon Valley having to export all their manufacturing jobs overseas because we can't, some of the most skilled engineers, for example, come from India. But our government right now has a policy. We only want uneducated, unskilled people as immigrants. And we have a lot of illegal immigrants. But what people don't realize, if you allow these Chinese or Indian engineers to come in, those plants with 20,000 workers would still be in this country. People do not understand that you have to have a competitive company to stay here. If a company cannot compete in this country because it doesn't have the, the skilled labor to run the companies, they have to move to where they can find it. Well, we've had some really interesting discussions about economics uh, with Jim Davis, and I want to thank Jim for coming here and discussing all these concepts with us. I think what I certainly have learned... Uh, from you is a lot of facts about the free market, about economics. Basically, the culprit is government regulation, people in government, many of whom have never had a job in their life, thinking that they know how better how to run companies from people who learned economics running a lemonade stand when they were a kid and took those very same principles up to running major corporations in this country. It's been great talking with you, Jim. Thanks for being here. And thank you very much for inviting me. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything, 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 everything.